0: The scripture reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This is the well-known chapter in which Isaiah receives his commission from the Lord to go and be a prophet. You would think it would be recorded in chapter 1, but it's recorded here in chapter 6. This is where the Lord sends out Isaiah. We look at this chapter because Isaiah gets a glimpse of God's glory and he sees how God is to be had in reverence and holy fear. And that's what we consider in the preaching as we look at Lord's Day 36 and the third commandment. Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Isaiah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having alive a hot coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Because Isaiah is going to have to bring a word of judgment to the people. And that's what God is telling him. Bring this word that they are stubborn and impenitent. Make the heart of this people fat. And make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest... They see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away. And there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth. And it shall return and shall be eaten. And a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So as a remnant, as a seed, as a remnant, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof." So there will be a great chastening and a great judgment, but there will be a remnant that is preserved. So far we read God's holy and infallible Word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages of Scripture that we have the teaching of Lord Day 36 of the Catechism found on page 21 in the back of the Psalter and page 22. Lord's Day 36, what is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly that we use the holy name of God, no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that He may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us, and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that His wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies To prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. And therefore, He has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ... Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Remember, that's where we are in the catechism. And that's why we are taking up this study of the Ten Commandments. We have seen how great our sin and misery is. And we have seen how God has so marvelously delivered us from all our sin and misery. Jesus has shed His blood for us on the cross, blotting out all our sins. Jesus has lived a perfectly righteous life on our behalf so that the the keeping of the law is already done for us so that we have a righteous standing in Christ before God. And Jesus has worked His Holy Spirit within our hearts so that we're delivered from bondage and slavery to sin. We've been made new creations and we are free, set free to live unto God. And we are walking even now today as the covenant children and the friends of the Lord God Almighty. And now here in the third section of the catechism, the catechism is impressing upon us how we are to show our thankfulness to God for this salvation. We're not, we're not looking at these things in order to earn salvation, but simply to live in the salvation that we have been given. To praise God, to glorify God, and to show God our thankfulness. And this is why we're going through the Ten Commandments slowly and carefully because the Ten Commandments are given to us as the rule for how we are to live in thankfulness before our Savior. This is how a Christian must live. This is how a Christian will live. This is how a Christian wants to live. Give me thy law, O Lord. Oh, how love I thy law. I want to show my thankfulness. Write thy law upon my heart. Are you thankful in the way you are living your life, in the way you are treating your neighbor? Are you showing your thankfulness in the way that you use God's name? That's what we look at this morning. In the way you use God's name, are you showing a life of thankfulness? We take as our theme, worshiping God with reverence. We've seen worshiping God as God alone. Worshiping God without images and now worshiping God with reverence. We look at three things. What is forbidden? Second, what is required? And then third, a serious warning which is included in the third commandment itself. In order to begin our treatment of the third commandment, in order to understand the third commandment, we need to distinguish it from the first two commandments we've already looked at. In the first commandment, we've we've had addressed whom we are to worship. Whom must we worship? Worship God and worship God alone. No idols, no idols beside God. Have God alone as the one you worship. Then in the second commandment, building off of that, we were instructed as to how we are to worship God. Worship Him. Now, how do you worship Him? Worship Him without images. Don't worship him according to your own specifications, according to your own preferences, but worship him as he has commanded you in his word. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship him as he instructs you to worship him. And now, in the third commandment, God builds on those two commandments worship God, worship God without images. And now, as you worship God, and as you worship God without images, worship God in a spirit of reverence. Worship God with an attitude of reverence and holiness. Whom we worship, how we worship, and with what attitude now must we worship this God. So, that's the third commandment. And that comes out quite clearly in the commandment itself, in the language. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And the word vain means, the, means empty. It means worthless. Nothing. It means to no good purpose. If something is vain, then that something is empty. It's worthless. It's, it's without any value. And to take God's name in vain then means to treat God's name as if it's empty, as if God's name is worthless, as if there's no value in it to not treat it, to take God's name in vain is to not treat it the way it needs to be treated. Now this becomes very serious when we consider what the name of God is. What is the name of God? Well, the name of God refers to who God is. As I teach the Catechism students, God is His names. This is how you know God. This is how you interact with God. This is how you speak about God through His names. The way God has revealed Himself to us is through His names. That's the definition of the name of God. It's it's all the ways in which you know God and you speak to God and about God. Think of it this way. God is a spirit. He is pure spirit. We cannot see God. We cannot smell God. We cannot touch God. God is a transcendent being. He's far above us. But God in His goodness has come down to us and He has revealed Himself to us at a level we can understand. And, and He's revealed Himself so that we might speak to Him and speak about Him and we might know Him. And when God does that, when God reveals Himself to us, that's His name. That's His name. God's name is His revelation of Himself to us. So, so who is God? Well, for us as creatures, God is His names. That's, that's how we know Him, through His names. Just think, when Moses appeared, or when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, and God revealed Himself to Moses, what did God do? He, he gave Moses His name. That's how He, that's how He revealed Himself to Moses. I am that I am. And And Moses said, you know, when I go to the people and I tell them that God has sent me to be their deliverer and they question and they say, what is his name? What name shall I give them? And God says, I am that I am. That's my name. My name is identical with who I am, with my being and my attributes. And then God also said, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm the God who is faithful, who remembers my promises. I am Jehovah. The unchanging, eternally unchanging God of my covenant. That's my name. That's who I am. I am righteous. I am holy. I am merciful. I am love. I am almighty. I am omnipotence. I am exalted above all. This is who I am. And these are my names the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. That's why, congregation, you worship the name of the Lord. That's why you put your trust in the name of the Lord. That's why you, you call on the name of the Lord. That's why you remember the name of the Lord. Because that's God. The, God's name is how we know Him. And therefore, to take God's name in vain simply means to take God Himself lightly. To treat God Himself as if He is empty, worthless. Or, or at least minimizing who He is in any way, and speak lightly about God. Now children, even you children can understand these things. Maybe at school you have your name on your desk, or you have your name above your hook in the hallway. And you know very well, if someone does something to your desk, and they see your name right there, and they do something to your desk, they're doing that to you. Your name is there. They're doing that to you. We're all very careful with our names we want our we want others to spell our names right. Maybe that's not a big deal, but we notice it. We want people to pronounce our names the right way in a very real way. Our name is connected with who we are, and now with God it's the same thing. The name of God is connected with God himself and and we show what we think of God by how we handle his name and so what does the third commandment forbid? Well, it forbids that we think about God or we speak to God or we speak about God with anything less than perfect and complete reverence and awe. Anything less than what God in His majesty deserves. In a sense, the third commandment is really a a reiteration. It's almost a repeating of the first commandment and the second commandment. Worshipping idol gods, worshipping other gods is taking God's name in vain. You're treating God lightly. Worshipping God with images, worshiping God according to my vain imaginations, according to my specifications, that's taking God's name in vain. When you don't keep the Sabbath day holy, that's taking God's name in vain. You're treating God and the worship of His name as a light thing. Really, when you commit any sin against your neighbor, any sin against the second table of the law, that's God's law. You're taking God's name in vain. You're, you're treating God's commandments as, as worthless, as not that important. And in treating God's commandments as empty, minimizing them, you're ultimately treating God. As empty and worthless. So so the third commandment forbids that we think about God or we speak to God or speak about God with anything less than perfect and complete reverence. Again, that's why we said in the first commandment, this is why it's so important for us to rightly know God. That's where it all starts. This is the heart of true religion that I rightly know God and rightly knowing God, that I rightly know myself. And I trust in Him alone. I submit to Him alone. I expect all good things from Him only. I love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart so that I renounce and forsake all creatures, this whole world, rather than commit the least thing contrary to His will. That's what the first commandment requires, and that's really what the third commandment requires too. Rightly knowing God and then behaving accordingly. And that makes the third commandment then very broad. It's not just talking about, you know, curse words or swear words. It's very broad. It applies to every aspect of our lives. Really, we have to see this. We're we're even taking God's name in vain when we minimize God's own fatherly love and care for us. When we fall into thinking that God doesn't care for me or that God isn't working all things for my good. That's 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 that would God takes that as a mark against his name. Because he is Jehovah, he is faithful. And then when we hear it put this way, then we realize we take God's name in vain much more often than we realize. Well, that's very broad. Well, let's get a little bit more specific. What does the third commandment forbid? I have I have three things here to point out. First, God forbids the using of His name in the service of what is false, in the service of the lie. The third commandment, the catechism addresses that. The third commandment forbids that we make empty or false oaths and promises. Lord willing, we're going to look at that more next Lord's Day. Whenever you attach God's name to lies or to half-truths or false promises, you're breaking the third commandment. In the Old Testament, the false prophets were doing this all the time. They would say that they're prophesying in the name of the Lord. And they would make all kinds of false claims, and they would use God's name to back up their lies. That was taking God's name in vain. We do the same thing today. We can be inclined to do the same thing. Maybe I'm tempted to say, the Lord told me to do this. You hear that kind of language. The Lord told me to do this. Maybe, maybe I want to date an unbeliever. And I'm struggling to justify it. And so I say, I just feel that the Lord wants me to do this. I just really feel God wants me to date this unbeliever. We need to ask ourselves, what are we actually doing when we use that kind of language? Well, what we're doing is this. We're, apl- we're appealing to God's authority. We are appealing to God's name. To really justify what we want to do. We're using God's name to back up our fleshly desires. That's why we say it that way. Because after all, how can someone debate with me about what's right and wrong here when I have the name of God backing me up? I just feel God wants me to do this. But what you're actually, what I am, what we're actually doing is this. We're taking God's name in vain in those situations. We're using God's name to promote our own agenda. That's taking God's name in vain. Now, you see, if I would search the Scriptures, and if I would uh, be careful to see what the Scriptures say, and then submit myself to the Scriptures, that would be reverencing God's name. Right? But if I just do what I want and say, well, I just feel God is happy with this, that's taking God's name in vain. So first, God forbids the, the using of His name in the service of what is false, in the service of the lie. Second, God forbids the using of His name in, in the service of what is flippant or frivolous, that, is do, that which is done without any care or thought. For example, we can break the third commandment when we use vain repetitions in our prayers, when we're praying without thinking about, about the words we're using. We have to be careful with that. We break the third commandment when, when we say at supper time, okay, let's quickly pray so that we can eat this food while it's hot. Right? Let, let's, let's quickly pray. Doesn't that sometimes happen? Now, the problem isn't a short prayer. The problem is that, okay, let's quickly call on the name of the Lord. Let's, let's go through this as a going through the motion so that we can eat the food. That's, that's my focus here. And, and using, take, calling upon God's name is just one more hurdle I need to get through in order to eat our food. Treating my food really is more important than God. In addition, we break the third commandment when we use God's name as a curse word. That's using God's name flippantly. The way that I use the word damn, or the way that I use the word hell, or the way that I use the word Christ reveals something about my attitude to God. These are God's attributes. This is God's power. God is one who damns someone to hell. That's not to be treated lightly. And if I can speak about God's power and attributes carelessly, flippantly, it says something about what I think of God. We're talking here about our Creator, the Judge, the Sovereign of the universe. And His attributes and His activities should not be treated lightly. He should not have his name tossed about as an expression of shock or outrage or anger. And I'll say this right now. It could also fit in the third point of the sermon. This is a serious warning. But let me say it right now. I've heard God's name be taken in vain by Protestant Reformed people. And from my own experience, I will say this. Young people... If you have a friend who calls himself a Christian or herself a Christian and he takes God's name in vain and, and, and you can sense this is really blaspheming God's name, using God's name in anger. And you, you've heard it before. If, if you see that happening, if I were you, I would flee from that person and not have anything to do with him or, or at least right away sternly call him out for it in love You're hanging out on a Friday night. Maybe you're renovating the house on a Saturday afternoon and a Christian tastes God's name in vain. Personally, I would immediately put distance between me and that person. No silence or connivance. That's what the Lord's Day is talking about. Knowing other people are doing it and not speaking out against it. I acknowledge there are sins that we all struggle with. But this is one of those sins that is simply grossly offensive. The heart of the person who's taking God's name in vain, in my judgment, is black. I think we need to take very seriously what the Catechism says when it says, There is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. And therefore, He has commanded this sin to be punished with death. This is serious. I'll share a story with you. I was in kindergarten. I was just starting to go to school, and I went to a public school. And I must have heard the other little kids at that public school taking God's name in vain. And I came home one night, and I don't know what was going on, but I was standing in front of my mom. She was sitting. I was standing in front of her. Maybe she was washing my face or something like that. And for some reason, I said, oh my God. And you know what my mom did? I think first she asked me what I said, repeat myself, what did you say? And I repeated it, oh my God. And you know what my mom did? My mom slapped me across the face. And I've never forgotten that. And it wasn't, it wasn't to hurt me, it wasn't that, but that was my mother's holy fear of God coming to expression. That was my mother's terror at what just had, had just come out of my mouth. And I understood as a little kindergartner, as a little child, that a very heinous sin had just been committed. Because the reality is, beloved, if you don't have the fear of God's name in your soul, you're simply not a Christian. If you don't have the fear of God, of God's name in your soul, you're not a Christian. Don't we know who God is? And this needs to be instilled within our children from a young age. This this needs to be our behavior with regard to what we're watching on the TV screen. What is my reaction to this? It happens. Is there a holy fear in this moment? That I've just had this come in my home. There is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. This leads us to the third thing we need to say. In the third commandment, God forbids using His name in the service of what is fake, what is false, what is frivolous and flippant, and now what is fake. And I mean this. We need to think about our whole approach to worship itself. Now, I understand we all get distracted. We all lose focus, and we need to repent of these things and turn from these things. But I'm thinking here of those who are fake, and they use the name of God. For example, they come to church week after week after week, and yet during the middle of the week, they are walking unashamedly in sin. They're constantly berating and attacking their spouse, or they're constantly looking at porn, they're constantly lusting after money, and then they come to worship week after week as if everything is okay. That's fake. That's taking God's name in vain. It is. Imagine a minister preaching and administering the sacraments, and during the week he's occupying himself in willful secret sin. That's fake, beloved. That's a special category of taking God's name in vain. And I have to say, when I was in my study this past week, and I was preparing myself to say those words, I burst into tears. And I pleaded with the Lord to keep me from ever committing such sins. It's in us by nature. I can't imagine how devastating that kind of sin would be, how devastating that kind of experience for the child of God to have sinned against God that way, taking God's name in vain so offensively. It would be utterly crushing. But congregation, I have to say also this, when I thought about all these things, I also prayed immediately in my study that God would forgive us as a congregation for where we have been corporately responsible for these kinds of sins. That's where my mind went also, because that's a reality too, corporate responsibility. We think of an office bearer taking God's name in vain by how he abuses his office. And maybe we don't think of it in terms of corporate responsibility, but that. That's a reality. And what else are these kinds of sins but the heinous sin of taking God's name in vain? And I don't know if we have, but if we haven't already, we need to confess this sin. And we need to plead the mercies of Jesus Christ that Jesus would remove this sin from us and forgive us. We are Christians We've been redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We bear the name of Jesus Christ. And we must never forget the privilege and the responsibility that comes with bearing the name of Christ. The name of God. And where we've ever been fake. Where the worship in this church has ever been fake. We need to see how that was sin against the third commandment. We need to be offended by it. And we need to repent of it. The third commandment forbids that we use God's name in the service of what is false and what is frivolous and what is fake. That's what God forbids here in this third commandment. So what is required? We've looked at what is forbidden and what is required. And the first thing that we can say is this, what is required is that we repent. Now, certainly, you can say that for every single one of the Ten Commandments because, with every single one of the Ten Commandments, our sins are exposed. But it seems especially fitting to say that and bring that out with this commandment. Because you and I, we don't know God's holiness as we ought. The prophet Isaiah, we'll get to that in a moment, he didn't know God's holiness as it ought to be known. We have forgotten that God is holy. We have forgotten to bow down. Have we shown our children what it means to tremble before the sight of Almighty God? To to tremble in His presence. Have we shown that to our children? Have we wept over our sins as we ought? I I don't mean that we need to start flogging ourselves. No, Jesus has borne the punishment. But are we repentant here? Are we repenting of our pride and our, our arrogance To think that I would use God's name with anything less than pure love and fear. Yet I do. We do. This is why we read from Isaiah chapter 6. Because in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is given a vision of Jehovah God. He's given a vision of Jesus. That's ultimately what this vision is. Jesus sitting on the throne. Remember the Apostle John's reaction when he saw Jesus on the island of Patmos and he fell down before him as, one who, as a dead man. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, it's a similar thing. He saw God sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and his train, the, the robe of his garment, or, or the tail of his garment filled the temple. Here is the King of kings and Lord of lords, bedecked in majesty, exalted on the throne. And he sees the angels surrounding the throne with wings covering their feet and wings covering their faces and, and wings flying there so that they can hover before the throne. And they're crying out in, uh, back and forth, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of His glory. And you can imagine the doors of the temple reverberating, shaking back and forth at the voice of the angel, and the temple filled with smoke. What a terrible, awesome sight. And how did Isaiah respond? He cries out, woe is me, for I am undone. He sees God's holiness and he thinks about his own uncleanness, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice what he says. I'm a man of unclean lips. What are the things that have come out of my mouth? I have not spoken about God as I ought. I have not appreciated his glory as I ought. We become desensitized to holy things. We become desensitized to who God is. Oh yes, it's good to know who God is as our Father. We have access to God and we emphasize that. We even have boldness to approach the throne through Jesus Christ and through His name. But at the same time, we should understand there's always a kind of tension here. Because not only do we come as God's beloved children, but we're also coming as creatures of the dust before the Almighty Creator. It's not a true tension because because it's always in love that we're coming to God. And love is holy. True love is holy. But there is this reality God, who is my Father, is also the Holy One. So, on the one hand, I run to Him as my Father. And yet, on the other hand, as soon as I enter His presence, I take off my sandals because I'm standing here on holy ground. My God is holy. My Father is holy, and even as He is holy, even so must I be holy. And the reality is, unless my speech and my thought is designed to advance the glory of God, I am not justified in having God's glorious name spoken off my lips. So what is required, first of all, is that we repent. Second, what is required is that we bask in the name of Jesus Christ. That's keeping the third commandment, that we honor and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Because who else is Jesus but the name of God come in the flesh? That's who Jesus is. He is God revealed to us in the flesh, the name of God in the flesh. John 17 verse 6, Jesus even says, In his high priestly prayer, he says, I have manifested thy name. I have revealed thy name to the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Because Jesus is God's name come in the flesh. And Jesus is also the one alone through whom we have access to the name of God. Apart from Jesus, we don't have clean lips. That's what that hot coal signified. The prophet had Unclean lips, and then the angel comes and he brings him that hot coal, places that on his lips, and purifies him. Your sins are washed away, your iniquity is put away. And that's what we have through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his work in us by his Spirit. We are made holy. The live coal has touched our lips, as it were, and we, as God's people, are able to use and confess the name of God aright. All our life must be lived out of Jesus Christ. Even when we pray, we always go to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Because God is holy. And I can't approach God in myself. I approach God in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's only because of what Jesus has done that we can even pray to God. And take his name on our lips in a holy fashion. So we must speak of what Jesus has done. We must rejoice with all our strength in the joy of our salvation that Jesus has given us. To bask in the name of Jesus, to exalt the name of Jesus, is to keep the third commandment. Preaching the gospel. The true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel that keeps the third commandment. That honors God's name. So second of all, we exalt the name of God. We repent of our sins and we exalt the name of God. And then third, what is required is that we exalt God's name in all we do, in all we say and in all we think. My God is holy. My God is true. My God is faithful. My God is righteous. My God is excellent. My God is glorious. I am captivated by His beauty. And He is, I I have caught a glimpse of Him. And He is certainly worthy of all my love, all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And all the love I can give Him with that. And what He would have me do, that's what I must do. Because He is the awesome God, my Father. And then we not only exalt His name, but we speak His name to others. And by the way we speak His name to others, we are witnesses of God. We confess who God is by our holy living. We sing His praises in church. We worship twice because how can I worship only once when I have the call to worship and reverence this holy name in a special way twice on the Sabbath day? How can I say no to the worship service if I'm thinking rightly about who God is? There's no, in the worship service, there's no cracking jokes. There's no flippant talk about the saints of old. Maybe, maybe you've witnessed that before. Uh, people making jokes about Mary and Joseph. Maybe you might come across that at Christmas time, or, or making jokes of other saints in the Scripture. We, we don't do that. We don't mock them and their holiness because, because that's really a reflection of God. Their holiness is to mock that is really to mock God Himself and His work of salvation in them. And it would all be taking God's name in vain. Really, we we find the essence of the third commandment and what is required in the third commandment in Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That's simply what the third commandment requires of us. So we've looked at what the third commandment forbids, we've looked at what it requires, and now we must look at a serious warning because the third commandment puts that in there right away. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. The Lord will not hold him innocent. The Lord will not wink at that sin of taking his name in vain. And God teaches that powerfully throughout the Scripture. Let me just give a few names to you. Maybe the children don't, can't recall all these names so quickly, but I, I think most of us will be able to. Think of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and their rebellion in the wilderness. Think of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, and the strange fire they offered. Think of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, desecrating the priesthood. Think of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to Peter and to the church and the Holy Spirit. Think of the 42 children who mocked Elisha and Elisha's bald head. I'm sure there's more that we could mention. Do you know what all these people had in common? It wasn't just that God slew them quickly, but it was that they first took God's name in vain. In one way or another, they minimized God. They treated God as a light thing. In one way or another, they, they thought God was just like them. God is not like us, beloved. God is holy. And in the third commandment, God would have us to know this. The psalmist says that we heard it as the call to worship. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about him, and we are about him. The angels understand the reverence that is his due. We need to understand it too. So I end this morning with how we began. Remember the perspective here. Are you thankful? That's where we are approaching this from. Are you thankful? Your Creator is your Savior. Who has, shown you uns- who has shown you unspeakable mercy. He has himself come in the flesh and has died on the cross to bear your punishment for all your sins. He has risen again and he is sitting in his son, Jesus Christ, is sitting at God's right hand working all things for your salvation and your good. He has written his holy name upon your heart. He's etched it on your forehead. By the power of His Holy Spirit, you are His and He is yours. This is your salvation. This is your reality day by day. Are you thankful? Am I thankful? Then do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not provoke God to anger and jealousy. Fear the Lord. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Let God, your gracious and loving God, be glorified, as the Catechism says. Let God be glorified in all your words and works. This is what is right. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, Thy law is very deep and broad and thy law is very excellent. We thank thee for giving us thy law. Thou hast not shown favor like the favor thou hast shown to us, thy people, giving us thy statutes. Write thy law upon our heart that we might give thee our praise and give thee our thanks, and that thy name might truly be honored and glorified in all we say and all we do. Use this preaching. As a powerful means of grace to shape our lives, may we apply it to our hearts and to our lives. May thy spirit apply it to us that we might go forth growing in holiness for thy glory and honor's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.